Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. As we meet and gather uh, and even look at, at scripture some more, Lord, um, and dream about the future and, and talk about what that may be and, and celebrate community together, Lord, first and foremost, we just we want to say that we love you and, and, and we want to hear from you and we want you to lead us, Lord. And we thank you for your word that is so beautiful and, and so true that, and that we'd be able to continue to, uh, to learn from it and be guided by it. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So, um, kind of as a means of illustration, I want you to pretend that all of the air or the oxygen or, yeah, I guess just air, in this room represents all the possible knowledge about anything. Maybe it's all the possible knowledge. Maybe it's all the possible knowledge about astrophysics. Maybe it's everything that could just be known in general. Maybe it's everything that, uh, can, everything that there is to know about God, whatever, right? So air in this room is all possible knowledge, all right? Then this, this is your brain, okay? So what I do is, and this symbolizes, so you learn something, right? So you take a little bit of the air that's in the room, and you learn something, and you put it into your brain. Right? So now you learn some things. And that's really great. And that's good for you. Because what we've done is we've taken, you know, some of the available knowledge and, and we've put it in uh, inside your head. Now here's the interesting part, though, is that that place where what you know meets what you don't know, that is where your questions are. Right? And it's really kind of symbolized by the surface area of the balloon. So watch what happens when you, so this is what you know, but then you have some questions. And so you want to learn some more. So you study or you research or you do something like that and you take more of the, the air that's in the room and you put it into your brain. Well, now you've increased, I mean, you learn more and the things that you're more certain of have, have increased, but the surface area or that space where what you know meets what you don't know has increased, meaning now you have more questions, right? And this is, you've probably, I mean, you know, I mean, think back to, you know, some college course, and you've got a freshman that thinks they know everything, and then their professor who's talking like he doesn't know anything, and it's, hold on, I've got, you know, another balloon here, but, you know, it's because, you know, this is the freshman's brain, you know, and this is the professor's brain, and this guy has like four questions, and so he thinks he's pretty well good. And this guy knows a lot, but he just has so many questions. And like I said, I mean, this could be all manner of things. Maybe this is, I don't know, maybe it's math or science or, or what you know about the corn huskers or anything like that. Now, And things go well for a while, you know, and you, you're learning more and you're more certain than ever before, but the questions continue to, to haunt you. 
maybe to the point where you start to get a little bit nervous. And you're not really sure how far you can push this. To the point that it gives you a headache and you get a bit dizzy. And you think, I never realized my head could get so big. There might be some limitations on that analogy. <laughs> on how far you want to take that. I, I'll clean that up later. Uh, not to imply that this is what your mind looks like, but maybe. I'm not bothered by your questions. I'm really not. Um, in fact, your questions can often be a sign of just being in a good place. Now, granted, some people will use questions just to be argumentative, right? Like, they're really not interested in learning. They're just using questions as some kind of way to debate or try to prove wrong. And so they're just, they're just being argumentative and, and condescending and whatnot. And that, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but as we learn more, not only is there an increased certainty and an increased knowledge... But there's also that increase in questions. And what, what, what does that mean? And what, I, you know, okay, I can see both sides of that. And yes, this is straightforward, but at the same time, more and more, there, there are spots. You know, I, I tried to shine the, the light in the corners so that I could understand more, but, but now I think I, maybe I even just understand it a, a little bit less. I always want this church to be a safe place to learn and a safe place to ask questions. It was very fascinating. Several years ago, I was listening to a podcast, Carrie Newhoff. I remember where I was when I was listening to it, and, uh, but he was interviewing this gal, and they were talking about high schoolers, particularly in situations, you know, they were looking at why is it that some high schoolers, you know, several years down the road, some will return to church and some won't. What's the difference, right? Both started off growing up in church. Both grew up as, as like church kids. But you fast forward 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Some return to church. Some don't. What's the difference? And this lady was saying they, they had done a bunch of research. And what they found is that all of them had questions. All of them at one point struggled. All of them at one point said, what, what is this? What, what's going on? The difference is that those that returned had a safe place to ask their questions and to wrestle with their faith and to work through it. And the kids that did not return did not have a safe place to ask those questions. There, there, there was no guidance. There was no kind of like, hey, let's talk through that. Hey, that's valid. Either the questions were shut down or they just weren't allowed to bring it up. And then, and then later on they, they left. So the ones that returned had that safe place for questions. For... Um, for a long time, we had up banners here that, you know, read, Grow Disciples, Multiply Churches, Glorify God, and Transform Communities. And that was our vision statement. And I love that vision statement. I, I, I still love it. Um, but over time, a couple things became apparent. One is that our team leaders went through a book. And as, as they were going through this book, um, the book talked about how the vision statements that work well are those that show some kind of progression. Right? Like something where, you know, like turning 
irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Christ, right? Like there's kind of a beginning and end. Or the, the example in the book, and that actually Greenhouse has adopted, you know, loving God, loving people, and serving the world, and there's a sense of progression, right? Like you start, you know, as you, as you mature, you kind of move further along down the sentence, right? So, and, and ours was mainly just four really big, lofty ideas, um, the other thing, too, is that I really started to ask myself, like, are we really engaging the, in these well or not? Some, it felt like we were. Some, it felt like we, we weren't. And, and I became just kind of increasingly, uh, I'm not sure what the right word was, but it, it just felt it was a little bit too big and, and, and too scattered, and, and were we really working through them? And so, as much as I love them and love the graphics that w- went with them, and they took a long time to, to come up with, um, just started to go like, I think we need to, to maybe just reevaluate that. And so actually in this next year, we've talked about this as a leadership board, that we need to spend some time reviewing that. And maybe that's great. Maybe those go back up, but maybe there is a way to, to refine that even more to, to something that, that works for us. And so that is something that the leadership board uh, is wanting to embark on and, and wrestle with a, a bit this year. And then so also then at Christmas, you know, we took the banners down, and these are, um, these are all basically titles of Christ that you find in Isaiah, um, really made famous by Handel's um, Messiah, um, but so, yeah, these, these are, so we've left these up. But with all that said, I just, I want to spend a little bit of time just sharing about where my heart is just in this season of ministry, what I've come to value, what I believe is, is important for us as a church, and then also, um, you know, review that through the, the lens of Luke and some of the last things that, that Jesus says as Luke records it. I would say that, that I think the most important thing for us, and for really for any church, is worship, that we start there, that worship is, is the number one thing. Um, the Westminster Catechism has this phrase, question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I love that phrase. It is so good. It is so poetic. It is so dense. It is so rich. Like, it's just a, a fantastic phrase. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I, and articulate, I, I think it's great. And the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so I believe that as a church, we're called not just to do that, but also to help others do that as well, right? Like we want to see people move from kind of exploring and questioning and what is faith to really becoming the, these Christ-centered individuals. That's our hope for all of you, and that's our hope as a church, really, for, for everyone within our circle of influence, um, it's, uh, Christine had us working through a book called Roar, um, as the, the, the worship team. And it's fascinating. There are seven different Hebrew words that gets translated for praise in English, right? You've, you're probably familiar with how, like, well, in the Greek, there's four words that gets translated for love and kind of understanding that. Well, in the Old Testament, there are seven words that all get translated to, to praise in English. And so the book walks through them, right? And so you have, um, and I'll probably say these wrong, but yada, which is to revere or worship with extended hands. You have um, barak, which is to kneel or to bless God. You have sh- um, shabak, which is to address in a loud tone or shout, and it goes on and on. But all of these just get translated into English as praise. So, number one priority, to worship the Lord. Secondly, to, to see people move from exploring faith to a Christ-centered life. Um, just 
only about a month ago, kind of really rediscovered a book that I've had for a long time. And, uh, and I, I looked through it before, but just never really clicked, and I never really understood. Or, or I, yeah, it was just never really resonated with me. And then this last time, um, it just kind of suddenly made sense, and, and I understood it a little bit more and um, just kind of went to the more helpful sections. But it, it was fascinating, and they, they've continued to do research on this, but a church said um, they, they wanted to research this, right? Like, how do people grow in their spiritual matur- maturity? And originally they thought, well, spiritual maturity and church involvement are connected. So as one grows, the other one will grow with it. And so if there are lots involved, then they must really love Jesus. And if they're not much involved, then they must not really love Jesus. So they did this big survey, and they found out the two are not related at all whatsoever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, bummers for them. Um, but they, can, they continue to explore it, and they did find a way to manage spiritual growth. And it was fascinating. And they broke it up into four phrases, and these are, these are labels. But they talked about, you know, exploring Christ, or exploring Christianity, growing in Christ, close to Christ, and, and then a, a Christ-centeredness, right? Well, here was what was so fascinating, is that they found that people who were exploring Christianity, it was the weekend service that was the most significant. Okay? All righty. The next category, the people who grew in Christ, kind of that second phase, it was the small group that now became the most significant influence in their lives, and their increased spiritual maturity. Then after that, and these are the labels they use, close to Christ and Christ-centered, so kind of phases three and four, it was actually service opportunities and personal spiritual practices that played the greatest influence in helping them to continue to grow in their relationship with Christ. Now, in many ways, none of that's shocking. Like, you can look at those and be like, yeah, those are all good things. What's interesting, though is the kind of the, the prevalence of them as they, as they grow in their spiritual maturity. And so, and this part is really important then, if, is that if we want to help people move from exploring Christianity to Christ-centered lives, then those are some things that we need to be more intentional about. Small groups, service opportunities, not just in the church, but in the community or, or nationally. And then also training, developing, encouraging spiritual, per, those spiritual uh, practices. So kind of two, two big ideas. Worship being the most important and then helping people grow from exploring Christianity to Christ-centered lives. So if, if vision then is the big picture of what we want to try to accomplish, then values are our unique style from getting from here to there. Um, and this is another one too where for us to do some work on this. Any work that we can do on articulating our values will really serve us well. And sometimes value seems maybe like not that significant or just something like big churches do or nonprofits. But But let me explain to you how, how values work and why this is so important. Two families have decided that they want to do a family trip together. They want to do a family vacation with each other. They like each other. The kids get along. Hey, let's, let's do a trip and let's drive out to California because I don't know why California, but it just, that's my analogy. All right? So they're going to go west and they're going to go to California. Lots of road time and they're going to they're drive it, the whole thing, right? And these are good people. They love each other. They love Jesus. Everything is great. And they have the common destination. We're going to go to California because whatever, California. 
they start off down the road and they realize that one family loves to eat in nice restaurants because it's vacation and they've been saving up all year and so they treat themselves, but the other family likes to eat out of Walmart. One family drives with minimal stops, like we don't like pee in a cup, like we do not stop until we get there, and the other family is like, any tourist trap that has a half-decent sign, we pull over for. In one car, all the kids are watching movies, and in the other car, the kids are all reading books. One family loves to leave early in the morning, I mean, before the sun is up, they're two hours down the road, and the other family says, it's vacation, we sleep in. Neither is right or wrong. Both will get you there, right? This isn't like a sinful and righteous or anything like that. This is just kind of how you operate, but... The more that you are aware and the more that you are in, in agreement of how you do these things, the more pleasant and efficient the trip will be. And I did not have this in my notes, but I'm just now thinking of this, that maybe some of you who farm together should spend some time working on your values or any kind of family business, right? Like any time where you're working together on a project to articulate those values so that you understand how we are going to go from A to B. In one book that I read, the pastor recalls, so he went to the, the church meeting. Um, he was a new pastor. Uh, this was like an elder leadership team or, or whatever. Things were going pretty well. Last item on the deal was that the, know, the church had a car and it needed new tires. Do we get new tires or do we get retreads? And men were yelling at each other before that meeting was over over tires because these two men had completely different values on money and how you spend money and what you consider to be a good financial investment what are some of my values as it pertains to ministry and church um, one, excited about Scripture. Scripture is awesome. Scripture is true. It points us to God. It is the inspired Word of God. It will last forever. Um, in some cases, and maybe it's a little bit nuanced, it, it, I do think it is just a helpful reminder that as much as we love Scripture and believe that it points us towards God, Scripture is not God. Right? God is the ultimate end. Right? Scripture tells us how to get there. And we believe that it's true and, and all these other kinds of things. But Scripture is the Word of God. It, it is not God. And so we, as we experience maybe healing or restoration or freedom or that kind of thing, it is God that does that through His so Holy Spirit and through His truth, which is spoken through Scripture. Right? So some, sometimes there's a little bit of confusion on that. Also, Scripture is the most reliable thing we have, so we test everything against Scripture. Secondly, obedience to the Holy Spirit. The, the Christians that I've looked up to the most in my life have a remarkable relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, they listen to Him, they hear His voice, they obey His prompting, they, they strive to please Him. And, and again, sometimes kind of a, a nuanced thing that, that I've just been reflecting on, kind of really kind of this last couple of years, you know, sometimes we'll talk about obedience or, you know, we want to, you know, follow the call or, you know, responding. But I, sometimes I think we need to be a little bit careful because sometimes in that language, people will drift into a place where we wait until we're told to do something. In which case, then, good Christianity says, well, I'm just going to stand here until I'm told otherwise. 
That doesn't work. We are judged for sins of omission. We are judged of sins for commission. We will be judged for sins where we did wrong things. We will be judged for sins where we failed to do right things. Meaning not only can action be a sin, but inaction can also be a sin. And there is something on us to, to pursue and to seek, right? Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. So, um, a good relationship with the Holy Spirit is not just listening and receiving, but also pursuing, asking, checking in. Have I grieved you, Holy Spirit? And also, we will never understand scriptures without the Holy Spirit. Like, we need the Spirit of God to understand the, the, the scriptures. So, obedience to the Holy Spirit, passion for the Holy Spirit. Loving our local community. If our church were to suddenly disappear, would the community notice... Would the community care? One of the most wonderful compliments, they, they didn't even mean it this way, and I don't, I'm not sure how much all the details I can share from the pulpit, but this summer there was a small fundraiser. I mean, it was a public one, but a small fundraiser. And, and the organizers of that wanted to give it to a good cause. They, they really hadn't found something. They gave it generically to our church just because they felt that our church had done so much in loving and caring for the community. And I think that is one of the richest compliments, not just that speaks to our past, but also encouragement to say, let us earn that title every year. Like, let us not go grow weary in that. Like, let's, let's earn that reputation every year. One of the reasons we named our church Living Hope was just a recognition that our world hurts. Like, everyone's story has pain. Like, spend a little time, ask a few questions. You can find the pain, right? Like, it's there. And, and I think increasingly so. But just, like, the world needs hope. The world needs the living hope of Jesus Christ. So loving the community to, to remain a priority. Um, connected to our denomination. These are not necessarily in order of importance, just the order that I, that I typed them out. But we benefit from that broader denominational connection. We, we benefit from being involved in the central district. We you know, being involved at the national level, being involved at, at Tabor College, um, having those connections, I think, allows us to do things and, and participate in things that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do, right? Sending out missionaries. We, as a small church, don't send out missionaries, but we partner with other churches, and then through Multiply, we get to participate in sending out missionaries. And somehow, in some way, I, I think someday a, a spiritual reward will come back to members of this church because you helped send out missionaries. I, I, I think there, there is spiritual reward in that. One thing I have observed, though, on this is that this, like in some ways this one is on us because sometimes these organizations do a poor job of pursuing us. So just remember that really it works best when we pursue them and when we pursue involvement. Kind of the same thing. Like, don't wait for uh, an invitation. Just get in there and do it. <laughs> and the more that I serve on some of these committees and boards and interact with it it's really not so much about how gifted you are i mean you got to love jesus you got to love the denomination you got to be willing to put in some work if you're willing if, like if you meet those three criteria honestly you can fill like any position i've ever seen or heard of um so yeah the other thing too is that all the churches that i've seen where they leave it begins where they withdraw relationally from the other churches, from the other pastors. Then they start to get arrogant and fearful. 
they, then they, they create some kind of trumped-up frustration that isn't really based in reality, and then they leave. But it almost always begins with them withdrawing relationally. Constantly learning. There, there's just too much good information out there for us to, to stumble around on our own. Uh, we have amazing resources at our disposable, disposal. Teams should be reading books and listening to podcasts. And as you find good information, like text it out to the friends or people on your ministry team. Here's something I read. Here's something I listened to. Like share that, share that information with, with one another. Hard work, celebration, good rest. I value hard work. I know many of you do too. But I think it's also important for us to celebrate. Celebrate when something goes well. Celebrate when a season ends. Celebrate when there's a transition. Celebrate one another. Celebration is important and, and good rest. Like, I mean, I, I love it when people work hard, but I also really love it when they take a great rest, which is why I'm always so excited when I hear people talking about vacations and trips and visiting family and going wherever and, and doing this. I love it when you take a good rest, okay? Come back to us, please. <laughs> but I love it when you take a good rest. I think that is so fantastic and so healthy and, and so good. I don't believe our church community suffers from lack of hard work. I, I, think, I think that is, is just baked in to, to the culture here. Um, if anything, though, I think some of you need a, a, just a reminder to rest smart, to, to take a good rest. There are other things that I value um, um, encouragement, right relationships, technology, efficiency, uh, stuff like that uh, could go on and on, but just kind of call, stop there. Um, moving forward, a few things for us to consider. First of all, as leadership team, you know, as I've said, we're talking about, you know, vision and vision statement and kind of reevaluating that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, a few things that I do think that we could work on and so I have some, some stuff that, that I want to share with you. And I guess my, my question, well, once we get into it a little bit, is, is in sharing these to see if this sparks a, a passion in you. Whereas if I'm going through this, you're like, ah, I would, I would love to do something like that. Like that would, that would be fascinating or I'd like to learn more about that or, or that kind of thing. Um, and also as I go through this, just... You know, this doesn't have to be adults, right? Like, if you're in high school and you got a passion about this, let's talk, you know? So this is, this is like, you don't just have to be retired to, to, be, to consider these. Small groups is, is the first. I, I would challenge all of you to join a small group. There, there is something about that smaller community that is just important to your spiritual growth. Um, honestly, we have enough people. We could probably start up one or two new small groups, um, and even if the small group is just three or four close family, you know, that are, that are friends, awesome. Go for it. Um, regarding small groups, though, um, I need to acknowledge that I have not led the small group leaders well, um, like I, I should have been doing. And so um, I apologize for that. That is something that, that I want to start doing, um, mainly just kind of have let small groups do their own thing. But that book and, and some of my learning has convicted me that that that's not okay so um just understand what a pivotal role small groups is playing so here's actually what i, I want to start doing and the small group leaders don't know this yet but small group leaders i'd like us to for the next year to meet once a month mainly for the purpose of learning i have a couple of good books i want us to go through 
once we, we kind of get caught up to speed, then maybe we can back it off and maybe meet quarterly or that kind of thing. But just kind of to ramp us up and get caught up to speed, um, I'd like for us to meet monthly, go through some books, talk through some stuff, expectations, um, you know, what are you doing that works well? What are you doing that works well? What are you doing that works well? Um, maybe there's a service project that small groups can participate in, that kind of thing. Um, service community and outreach, right? I mean, um, you know, the, the research has shown, again, how, how important that is. This one I, I'm a little bit conflicted on because we have so many people, so many people who are serving well inside of the church, and we are blessed because of that, and, and, and I am so thankful and so amazed for that. That said, I think for some of you, not all, some of you I know are maxed out, but I think some of you have capacity to explore more service opportunities outside the church. Maybe it's something local. Maybe it's something national with Multiply or MDS or some board somewhere, international, I don't know. And so, you know, within this, like, is there a person? Is there a couple? Is there, like, two friends where this would be fun to do together that would be interested in working with me on creating and highlighting different service opportunities, even locally, right? Like, let's organize some Love Henderson events, uh, you know, some thank yous to first responders, help people volunteer in the school, um, maybe get some people serving a local crisis pregnancy center, that kind of thing. Same thing for personal spiritual practices. Is there a person, a couple, or a couple friends that would love to grow in this and help us grow in this? And so um, teaching us, you know, better how to life journal, um, arranging spiritual retreats up at Schuyler, um, leading a prayer group. And, and also under this, too, is just reinvigorating prayer. Can, we need to start up a, a, a prayer time, whether it's at 6.30 or 9 o'clock after you drop off the kids at school or something, but a, a weekly prayer time. Um, Another thing, the, and this is just still very much an ex- exploratory mode, uh, but leadership team has wondered if we should have a separate um, safety team. Like right now we have a hospitality and safety team. Do we need to keep that as one? Is, is that two groups? Nothing confirmed, just exploring options. Um, this is not a security team, right? Like no one's going around with lethal things tucked into their belt, right? Like this is a safety team, you know? And so... You know, what does that look like? And, and I already have a bunch of thoughts on that. But just helping our, our leadership team think through what that might look like. Here's another one. So this one has been on my mind really since Roe versus Wade was overturned. Is, is, is there a person here who would have the, the time and the passion and the interest to, to research and look into how do we as a small church in Henderson help move the state of Nebraska towards becoming more pro-life? Right, so when Roe versus Wade was overturned, it went down to the state levels. Okay, some states have implemented laws right away, restricting, limiting abortion. Others ramped up access. Um, but uh, Nebraska hasn't passed anything. And in my brief research, Ricketts tried to call a special session. He knew that he would need 33 votes to get something to pass. Um, and Ricketts is very pro-life. I mean, he'd be up even for, for a full abortion ban. But he needed 33 votes to pass. He only had 30 so somewhere in that, you need three more votes, okay? Is there anything that we can do to move us towards that? I don't know what that is. Someone's going to have to do a lot of research and figure that out and just look into that. And what, I mean, are we, I don't know, are we writing letters? Are we donating to, to, to someone doing a campaign? I, I'm not like, or telling 
encouraging people to, to donate? I'm not sure. But is there someone that would have the passion to look into that and, and to say, and look, like I can Google Crisis Pregnancy Center, okay? That's not what I'm looking for, okay? Um, I'm looking for someone to do some serious research to say, here's how we take the state of Nebraska as a whole and move it more pro-life. Like that's the end goal. Um, in reflecting on, on all of this, I was wondering, you know, because you always just want to bounce, you know, or filter things through Scripture, and, and is this holding up? And we're in a sermon series looking at the book of Luke, and I wondered, how does Luke end the account, his account on the life of Jesus, right? Now, Matthew's account is very famous because you have the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. And so we often talk about how Matthew ends, you know, the life of Jesus. But I was wondering, how does Luke and the life of Jesus? Or what are kind of the final words that, that Luke says? So Luke is broken into 24 chapters. The last chapter, it's very interesting. We have the story of the road to Emmaus, which is a beautiful story. You, sh- you should all read the story on, on the road to Emmaus. But at, then after that, after that story, the disciples are gathered in the upper room. Jesus suddenly appears. He's standing amongst them. He proves that he's risen from the dead. You know, it's feel my hands and sides and that kind of thing. Then he says a few last words, and then he leads them into the countryside and ascends up into heaven. All righty? So here are the last words of Jesus in Luke's account. Um, Chapter 24, verse 44, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds, these are his disciples, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So in that, I read a few key things that we just talked about. Scripture is important. How we open their minds to understand Scripture. That you need the Holy Spirit, not just for life, but to also understand Scripture. You also need the Holy Spirit for ministry. Don't, don't go and do ministry until you're clothed with power from on high. Community outreach, right? Proclaiming about Christ. And then the very last words in all of Luke are this. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So all of Luke wraps up with his followers engaged in worship and that, that, that value, that importance of, of worship. How do we take the great commandment, the, the great commission, how do we express that for us, for living hope, you know, where, where it is a kind of progression, where, where it is memorable. And also, as much as we can articulate our values, the smoother things will be for us in doing ministry. And articulating values is actually a really hard thing to try to figure out, because we all have values that we live by, but figuring out what they are is really hard, because they're just kind of so second nature, and we just assume everyone operates that way. But we have a fantastic group of people here. We have a fantastic congregation. I think there's huge potential, huge potential for for this church. But at the same time, to always remember that it's not just about what can we do, but rather 
what can the Holy Spirit do when, when we give him all of us? Because that's really the question. What can the Holy Spirit do through us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, again, I, I thank you for this church, for this body, for this community that we, that we get to be a part of. Lord, thank you that we get to do life together. Thank you for the commitment to one another. Lord, thank you that just for your vision, Lord, your purpose to let all the world know about you and to, to save the world, to see all the world enjoy you and worship you. Lord, as we prepare to share a meal together, Lord, we thank you for this food. We're so thankful for all those that have worked hard to prepare it, for the opportunity to do fellowship and to do community. Lord, as we handle a few business things here after our meal, God, that, um, yeah, that we would be attentive to your, your Holy Spirit uh, and as, we, as we move forward in that. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.